0: Good morning, I know our team's already done an incredible job of telling you, but I want to tell you uh, from the depths of my heart happy father's day I'm like, oh, i i Id wonder what happened? I thought they cut the lights out did y'all leave what happened yeah happy father's day and and I do mean that I mean. There's nothing in this world that I enjoy more than being a dad. I have two incredible uh, daughters. <laughs> <clears throat> They're awesome, and, uh, and, I, and I love being a dad. I mean, I really, really love being a dad. The greatest gift my wife has ever given me was the gift of my children. Actually, Emily, uh, our oldest, was actually born on Father's Day. So that was pretty cool, right? That was an entrance into the world, you know what I'm saying? And so I love being a dad, and but you know being a dad's hard, and learning how to how to balance life, learning how to, you know, balance work and and family. I mean, it's difficult. In fact, I, I read a book recently by Andy Stanley entitled "When Work and Family Collide," and I talked about this a few weeks ago. And it's, the book really helped me. To understand the tension and the emotions that really I felt for years of how to how to balance it all because I mean you got to go to work right hello, it, I mean if you figured out how to do that call me. Um, we have to get up, we have to go to work every day, and and you find yourself saying I'm working hard because I want to what I want to support my family, I want to give my kids the things that they that they want, I want to give my kids the things that they deserve. Most of us as parents want to give our kids more than what we had, right? And so then but then you find yourself you know just in this constant battle of of time and so this book did an incredible job for me in fact Stanley says it like this he said we face a variety of responsibilities and opportunities work family hobbies clubs sports he said the list is endless each competes for our attention each competes for our most valuable resource anybody know what that is it's our time absolutely absolutely But to give each the time it demands or deserves would require more time than any of us have. And I've been there. How about you? Maybe you're there right now. Or you have been there. You've struggled with trying to work enough to provide for your family the things that you think that they, and you want to give them what they deserve. You want to meet their needs. But how many of us as parents really want to give our kids more than, than just what they need? We want to give them what they want, don't we? I think we do. So Stanley writes, he says, we cheat. We cheat. We give up certain opportunities for the sake of others. We invest in some relationships while neglecting others. Anybody find yourself, that's exactly where you are? You go, man, that's me. Because there's only so much time, right? So we allocate our time the best that we can, knowing all the while that somebody's going to feel cheated. Unfortunately, That somebody is usually someone we care a great deal about. And the question for me over those early years of marriage, those early years of being a dad, it was, who who am I going to cheat? And I wish that I could tell you that that I always thought in the terms of who deserves my time the most. Well, that would have made it easy. I didn't think in those terms. And I'm just being gut level honest with you. I tended to think, who's going to be the easiest on me? Who will be the most understanding? Who who will be the ones that will say, "We know that you're busy, but you have to give yourself too." I remember, I remember when, when Emily was six and Katie was three. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I remember getting them a bath one night, and they they both burst into tears, and they said, Daddy, we miss you. And I felt about that high. But here's what they said. They said, you know what, Dad, we know that other people need you. Now, this is a three-year-old with a six-year-old. But, Dad, we want you too. That's tough. I would say that for many of us, if not all of us, we wrestle with the tension between work and family. So choosing to not cheat at home begins with a decision. It's a decision. Don't be mistaken. It will be a choice on your part. And you can't wait until a better job comes along. You can't wait until another job comes along that frees you up your time. You can't wait that long. You can't wait until you pay off the house or or the car or the cars or whatever it is. And I've been there. Karen and I have have done everything we can to be debt-free, to get debt-free as quickly as we possibly could. I understand that tension. But if you're a parent, then you know that time flies, doesn't it? You can't wait that long. The decision to stop cheating must precede all of that. A few weeks ago, we looked at the old life of an Old Testament guy named Daniel, Daniel in the lion's ends in the lines of Daniel. And this is the beginning of his story. It was about 605 BC that the Babylonians invaded Israel. They could have just went in and killed everybody. That was very common back in the day. They would completely wipe out a nation. But that's not what they chose to do. We said, we're not going to kill them. We're not going to annihilate them. We're not going to wipe them off the face of the planet. What we want to do is humiliate them. We want to humiliate them. And so they sought instead to to destroy their identity and their culture. So they made Israel a slave state. And part of the process, part of the process of making them a slave state was to be able to take the best-looking young men. Women had no rights. Back in those days. Women, there was no value to a woman. A woman had no contribution to make, at least in their eyes. And so they looked at these young men, they said, We want the brightest, we want the smartest, we want the best looking. We want those that we know are apt to, to have leadership abilities. And we're gonna take those guys and we're gonna send them off to camp, you know, Babylonian camp, and and we're gonna teach them Babylonian literature. We want them to walk and talk just like little Babylonians. And Daniel was among the best of the best. Daniel one, starting with verse three, says, "Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring the king's service, into the king's service some of Israel's from some of Israel's royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome. Every time I read that, it kind of irritates me just a little bit. How about all the ugly people in the? I'm just <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? Handsome. Yeah, why do the pretty people have to win? Y'all don't even know what to say right now, do you? You're just like, do we clap? What do we do? do? Yeah. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Sounds pretty awesome, actually, huh? They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Now, drop down to verse 8. This is a powerful verse. In fact, it's so powerful, I'm going to use it twice in today's message, and the next time, I'm going to change the translation, looking at it in a different translation. Here's what it says. But Daniel resolved, he resolved, he made a decision not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And it just seems a little bit weird to me. And maybe it seems a little bit weird to me because we live in a culture today where culture is a big deal. Reaching back and understanding our heritage and where we come from and honoring our ancestors seems to be a really, really big deal for most of us today. And yet he said, you know what, you can, do, you can make me dress differently, you can cut my hair, you can teach me a new language, you can do anything to me that you want, but I'm not going to eat that food. Well, here's what you need to understand. Traditionally the Babylonians worshiped their pagan gods through the offerings of meat and wine. And the leftovers were eaten by the king and by his court as a final gesture of of loyalty. And so by eating the food, they acknowledge their gods as the source of their provision, as the source of their talents, as the source of their abilities, as the source of their success. And Daniel said, you know what? You can change anything about me that you want to. You can change my name You can change the way I walk, and you can change the way I talk, and the way that I look. You can hide everything about my ancestry that you want to, but the one thing I will not allow you to do is I will not. I will not give credit to another God for what my God has done. He made a decision. So it begins with a decision. And I think it's really important Before Daniel knew what the outcome of his decision was going to be, he made a decision. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in a world where you make a quick decision. In fact, I would never even counsel people to do that, right? I mean, you sit down, you look at the pros and the cons, you think it through, you pray it through. He made a decision before he even knew what the outcome was going to be. Before he knew how he would handle the situation. He's not. He made up his mind. He said, regardless of the outcome, I will not abandon my allegiance to my God. So putting your family first, putting your family first starts with a decision. And putting your families first is not just a sweet idea. It's not just a lofty idea. It's not just a good idea. It's a God idea. It is a God thing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Ladies, you'll, you'll love this verse. You, you thought it was just in Ephesians. Wives, submit to your husbands. And all the ladies said, <laughs> I get nothing. I get nothing from y'all. Well, just so you know, submission is a mutual thing between husbands and wives. Go back to Ephesians 5 if you really want to understand what that means but that requires a decision right husbands love your wives and never treat them harshly that demands a decision children always obey your parents and all the children said boo (laughs) all the parents said you're thinking you're memorizing that verse you don't know anything you know that better than John 3 16 It, it, it demands a decision you, you cannot do this without making a decision. Verse 21, fathers do not aggravate your children. Now, the children said, it demands a decision. <laughs> it requires a decision. But decisions won't come easy or be long-lasting without this key word. It's conviction." I noticed really this morning, as I was going through this message, I thought, you know what? I didn't find conviction. And I thought I probably need to go back and and look and try to find the word. It was interesting because most everything that came up on conviction was related to court. And I thought, our people will really understand. (laughs) Woo! I'm just saying. It says Springwell. Conviction. Not as it's related to a court proceeding, it's it's a firmly held belief. And I read that, I looked several different places, you know what I thought every single time I thought, that's too short, it it doesn't say enough. Because with conviction, comes deep commitment. Commitment. Conviction is necessary because momentum at work can be really, really hard to overcome. And it's hard to overcome because that's what you're working toward, right? That's what you hope that happens. You, you want there to be momentum at work. Last week we baptized 29 people at Springwell, right here. You know what, we could talk about how that will create momentum for the church, right? Even in our world, momentum is a powerful thing. Momentum is a necessary thing. Momentum is a thing that you're working for on your job, right? The wheels are turning. The ball's rolling. The company's growing. The boss is happy. The boss is happy. Everybody's happy. There was the promise of a raise. The promise of a raise. And, and now you're going to be able to buy your kids some of the things that not just that they need but that they, that they want right? You're going to be able to buy that house, move out of this old stinking neighborhood that you're living in now. You're going, to move, you're going to be able to move on up, you know, to a little bit nicer place. I mean, things are looking up. The ball is rolling. Momentum, momentum is, is, is propelling you forward with success. Only problem, it's taking you in the wrong direction. Well, it's taking you in the wrong direction if your goal is your family. Because now, as momentum is building at work, you have less time to spend with the people that you love. So how do you turn it around? How do you turn it around? It starts with a strong conviction. Conviction is like a bat in the hands of of a Hank Aaron. A 90 miles an hour fastball coming down the pike headed toward the catcher's glove. As it comes across the plate, 90 mile an hour fastball can be turned into a 120 mile an hour home run across the center field wall. But there has to be focus. There has to be focus. There has to be intentionality. There has to be a decision. And you can absolutely turn the momentum around and focus on your family, but you have to have conviction. And you have to be committed. There will be obstacles to overcome and problems to solve, but you already knew that. In fact, some of you probably right now, you're already wrestling on the inside, aren't you? You're already beginning to wrestle and argue with me on the inside. But, 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 but if I, I have to, and everybody has to have a job, and we have to go to work, and I have to provide, and who's going to pay for the college education? Who's going to buy clothes, right? You're starting to argue and to push against. There's going to be obstacles to overcome. There will be problems to solve. I promise you that. But conviction will give you the momentum needed to push through. Momentum will keep you focused. So let's look at how Daniel chose to address his problem. Verse 8, different translation. But Daniel determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given him by the king. He asked... Let's let that settle in just for a second. I wonder if you're thinking what I was thinking when I first read that. I, I thought, what? He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat the unacceptable foods. That's just weird to me. Now, what's weird to me, I don't know if this is probably something I should tell you. Those of you that know me know it's true. In fact, somebody I heard describe me the other day to somebody, they didn't know I was listening. They said, you they're talking about, but he's so laid back. And he said, "Man, you just you don't you didn't know him back in the day. He's a fighter. So how many how many fighters do we have in the house? Now wait, a minute, wait, a minute, wait, a minute. before you're offended. I know physically that we're talking about a physical fight. I get that, but but I'm also talking about those people that you know what you'll defend. You'll defend the weak." In fact, there's something inside of you that when you see someone being abused, you want to step in. In fact, you don't even think about it. You will step in, right? You'll step in for that underprivileged, for that undernourished, for that under whatever, that underdog. You want to step in. You want to defend that person. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right now? That's why we're Springwell. So when I read this, I thought, I'm ready for him to throw down the gauntlet aren't you i'm ready for him to walk in throw down the gauntlet and say i'm not eating your stinking food i'm going to give allegiance to my god i don't care what you say you can change how i dress i mean i'm looking for him to say you can kill me if you want to not he asked this sounds a little weepy sorry based on his convictions. That's the only option he had. So he proposed an alternative diet because it was his only option, given his conviction. And this is really, really powerful. Conviction eliminates options. Conviction. This deeply held belief That's deep enough that you're willing to put your life on the line. That's how deeply you feel about it. It eliminates options. Conviction. For me personally, as I look back over my life, conviction always narrows the focus for me. I read recently that Hernando Cortes landed in Veracruz, Mexico on April the 21st, 1519. And when he did, he ordered that all the ships in his fleet to be burned. His goal, his conviction, was to conquer Mexico for Spain. And here's the thing. He knew when they landed. He knew that there would be obstacles to overcome. He knew that there would be battles to fight. He knew that there would be a temptation to retreat. He knew that the temptation would be to say, man, forget this. This is not what we signed up for. I'm gonna head back to the ship and we're going back home. And so what he did, he said, I'm going to eliminate an option. I'm gonna burn all the ships. Going home is not gonna be an option. And based on everything I read, this was the very thing that rallied his troops to focus all of their resources on achieving victory because they knew that it was either achieve victory or die. Making up your mind to not cheat your family is a decision. It's a decision based on conviction. The, The Latin word decision is an interesting word it, it means literally to cut off that's what that's what the Latin word means it means to cut off and deciding not to cheat at home involves cutting off those behaviors and those habits that are contrary to your new conviction it's making up your mind is it, making up your mind isn't about just choosing an option it's only half the story It's also thoroughly eliminating all competing options. You following me? Now, I bet some of you are thinking right now, that's easy for you to say, preacher man. You don't know what it's like living out here in the real world. I mean, you got it made in a little ministry, stress-free ministry world you live in. <coughs> I want to say some things. Actually, I wrote some things, and I took them out. You'll be proud of me you're probably thinking you don't have a clue to what it's like to navigate the complexities of my work environment. It's not that easy. This is church. This is Sunday. This is church. Maybe it makes great preaching, but it's not real life. I've had the privilege of walking along beside a man, a dad, who has conviction conviction about being a dad I've had the privilege of getting to know Mark Dyer on a very personal level this morning I want you to hear some of his story so Mark first just let me say this I I cannot express in words how much I love you and how much I appreciate you how much I value your friendship but how much I respect you I know that in uh, 2015 you found yourself as a single parent it's not what you would choose it's not what you wanted but you found yourself as a single parent tell me a little bit about your story
1: I did in 2015 you're exactly right I ended up uh, being the father of a teenage daughter and so I realized I needed a lot of prayer at that point Um, but I had a decision to make and that decision was did I want Christ's best for me and I knew I wanted it for my daughter and that took some sacrifice that took putting some personal gains and personal wants and even needs on the back burner to show that child that she was she was first in my life and uh, so that's what I did do you do you think and it's interesting what you just said do you think that
0: looking at her Almost taking your eyes off of yourself and looking at her, knowing what her needs were, knowing what you wanted for her. Did that make you then turn to think, Okay, I can't lead where I'm not where I'm not headed myself? Did that cross your mind at all?
1: Absolutely. Because what I did know is that I loved my daughter intensely, but I think most dads would say that. But when I was grading my skip myself, I couldn't give myself an A or a B. I was I was still serving my flesh and still, still looking out for me. Even though I would tell you she was my number one, that child had to know, no matter what happened, that she could come down those stairs and Dad was going to be there. So what did it look like? Did you just put your love life on hold for the next few years? I, I did. Um, I, I really did. Uh, I just wanted, I just wanted God's best for our household. I just wanted it to be a safe haven, and I wanted it to be a place where she could learn the reality of a heart and a life changed by Christ's love.
0: But that's deeper than just wanting something that you think is best for your child. And I say that because I know parents, you know, we as parents will say, oh, we want, our, well, we want to graduate high school and then we want to go off to college, and so we have that plan that we think this is the best thing for their life. There's almost a difference between that and then having this deep conviction of, but I want more for
1: her than that. So what what do you, what do you want for her spiritually? God's very best, His very best, His will in her life, not mine. So if you had to die to some of what your best would have been for her, absolutely, absolutely. I think every dad has a. <laughs> preconceived notion of what they would like. I'd like to get her out to a convent and you know, have her be there for by herself. Uh, but no, um, I have seen the fruit in her life and that has been the biggest blessing of the sacrifices that I've made. Talk to me about that fruit. So, okay, this is, you know, this is
0: 2021. So for the last six years, you have devoted your life to your daughter. And I can say that because I've watched you do exactly that. And I have watched you sacrifice and give. I've never seen you do it begrudgingly. You always loved me you did it because you genuinely loved your daughter and you wanted God's best for her. So are you able to look back now and see the fruit of that? And what does that fruit look like?
1: Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, so, you know, my daughter, I went from a spot where my daughter saw some, you know, some some things in her childhood, my actions, that I would take back if I could. And from a child that had some really significant and understandable doubts about faith, and as my priorities changed and my faith changed, she went from being a neutral person to being someone today who challenges me and my faith. And she's on the mission field. She's doing some wonderful things don't go to a gas station with her unless you have extra time because she's going to witness to somebody at the gas station. And it has really been just a sweet, sweet reward. So what was underneath that sacrifice that I made hidden behind those sacrifices for my child was really all along. The Lord was saying, Hey, my best for you is in that servanthood to your daughter. Wow. So you grew through it as well absolutely so so god wasn't
0: just being selfish and thinking about her but also wanting his best for you
1: he had a lot of wonderful surprises in store for me well again i can't tell you how much i love you i can't tell you how much i respect you and
0: from one dad to another thank you for setting such an incredible example of what it means to die to yourself to make hard decisions, to love other people, especially your children. Thank you, Mark. Thanks.
1: <clears throat>
0: I feel like that I'm probably one of the most blessed pastors in the world and that we have so many incredible stories here of, of real people doing real life in the real world. And what it means to genuinely live out your faith, Mark is one of those stories. And he eliminated the options. He eliminated the options based on his conviction. His conviction for his family, his daughter, to find God's best. And the only way that she could find God's best was literally to watch him. So I have to ask you this question. What are you afraid of losing? What will you try to hold on to in spite of your decision to reprioritize? It's always interesting to me that, you know, we always talk about the state of the family in our country. And we're always quick to talk about how bad things are. I suppose things are pretty bad. We talk about teenagers and <sighs> how disrespectful they are. and The list goes on. But But I wonder... I wonder how it would change if we reprioritized and we made decisions based on conviction to say nothing is more important than our kids. Nothing. I wonder how it would change the course of our country. We think politicians run our country. I, I thought it was we the people. So what are you afraid of losing? Because i, I got to be honest, this message I, I I told somebody earlier, I probably felt more, this will be a weird way of describing it for some of you, but I probably felt more spiritual attack for me with this message and the message I'm going to preach next week than any message I've preached in a very long time. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Isn't it? Isn't it a little strange? Over the years, I've preached on the topic of hell, and, I've, and and that has always been one of those over-the-top, crazy weeks for me where I feel so much oppression. And I walked in this morning feeling that same kind of heaviness, and I thought, wow. And then, and then it occurred to me, is there anything any more important? It's our relationship with God. And based on our conviction that nothing will stand in the way of our relationship with Him. And that our kids are so important to us that we would be willing to say no. We would eliminate some options because they're more important. I know it's hard. And although you think I live in a very, I live in a bubble. <laughs> stress-free, just work a couple hours a week. That's not it at all. And years ago, when my little girls were three and six, I began the process. It started that day of saying, I've got to eliminate some options because nothing's more important than them. Typically, typically, it's imitation time, in case you didn't know. And, and and usually, like right now, I would say every head bowed and every eye closed. But like this is a safe place, and we never really pretend that we're perfect, do we? No. So I just wonder how many of you, maybe dads, moms, maybe you're single, but you would say, you know what? It's no different for me. I've got to eliminate some options. There's some relationships that just aren't taking the top priority. If that's you and you would say, Scott, can you just help me pray through this? Can you pray for me right now that I get this thing right? Would you just slip up your hand? That's what I love about this church. We can just be honest. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to get it right. Lord, how we love each other. It's such a priority for you. And it's not just that we love the world, but that we love each other. Lord, that we love our kids, that we love our families deeply. And Lord, sometimes we just have to eliminate the options. We have to change the momentum that has taken us away from them. and we'll have to depend on you to give us wisdom strength and the capacity lord to love beyond anything that maybe we've even experienced thus this far in our lives god to just to dig deeper to be willing to burn some ships Lord, raise up families that are strong for You. Deeply in love with You and deeply in love with each other. Every head still bowed. Every eye still closed. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and somehow this morning because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit and God is just God. Maybe you just realized that your priorities have been way out of whack. And maybe this morning somehow just sitting here you just come to realize that, you know, the thing that's missing in my life is God. Maybe what you've been able to realize this morning is that God wants more than your money. He wants your heart. And that He cares about your family. The things that matter to you matter to Him. And maybe somehow, as only God can, He spoke to you this morning, and maybe right now you're ready to fully surrender your life to Jesus. If that's you, and right there quietly in your seats, maybe you would pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you would just say, Jesus, I am a sinner who needs a Savior. I know I need your forgiveness. And maybe out of a great humility, you would just say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. Jesus, wow, what kind of love is that? Heavenly Father, what kind of love is it that would give up your Son for me? And I know you're alive. I know you were raised on that third day because I can I can feel your presence right now, right here. So forgive me. Forgive me for all my sin. And to the best of my ability, I just surrender my life completely to you. Lord, thank you. Uh, I just love the church I pastor, Lord. I love I just love my people so much. I stood back there this morning, Lord, as we were worshiping, and I, I turned to Mark, and I even told Mark, I said, if you know, Jana was speaking. She, she really didn't even know the truth that she was speaking, and how that truth could land on someone's ears to bring so much encouragement. I just served with such an incredible team of people. And then, Lord, we get to do life together as a congregation, lord, and i i get to do life with people that are real, that are authentic and genuine and not afraid to admit their faults, their mistakes. They're willing to confess their sin not just to you, but that we're willing to confess it to each other. To love each other deeply, lord, and to hold each other accountable. It is such a sweet way to do life. Lord, i am so blessed Use us, Lord, as a church. Use us wherever we are during the week, at at work, at school, with our neighbors, with the people at the grocery store, and the gas station, for them to see a difference in us. Certainly not perfection, but they know that something's different. Lord, you are absolutely awesome. It's in your sweet name that I pray. Amen.